Hello, sir. Well, good morning, Ben. Good morning. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. My my voice might be a little bass here right now. It is uh, it's 8 a.m. in my time zone, traveling mm. this week um, on the uh, West Coast in the lovely Bay Area for a conference. Wow. How's that going? This is Jamstack, right? Jamstack Conf, yeah. Jamstack so um, it just just wrapped up yesterday. So it was a kind of a two-day conference with some uh, various little events surrounding it. Overall, yeah, it was a, it was a good time uh, kind of getting to get a little bit immersed in kind of the community and the, the people that I'm aiming to serve with Static Kit. So it was, um, yeah, overall a good experience. I can dive into some specifics, but yeah, I always loved like an in-person event like this. Like I get a similar effect from MicroConf where you just, you just kind of get a jolt of energy when you're kind of in the same room with other people who are excited about similar stuff and, and other companies who are building things in the space too. It's uh, it's a good effect. I've actually been thinking the last week or two about doing some developer conferences, like possibly dusting off my uh, speaking chops and trying to come up with a good talk. Yeah, you've kind of ramped down your your speaking in, in the last few years, right? Totally. Yeah, I haven't spoken at a developer conference in probably a couple of years now, I think. I haven't stopped writing code and I still have thoughts about it. So I think it'd be good. And it also appeals to get out, like you said, and like actually talk to customers or potential customers. And just get more like real life, real feedback from people. Online communication is great. Being in, you know, Slack channels with people and, and making connections that way is good. But still nothing compares to like, I'm in front of you and I shake your hand and I, you know, we're talking about what you're working on or, or you know, if I'm talking to folks at Netlify about some of their cool new stuff that I wanted to, that I want to be a part of. Like, it's just, it's night and day different to be making that kind of like in-person contact High fidelity communication is really good. It's totally true. And we're, we're just so wired for it. Like you just feel so much more connection with someone if you actually stood there and talked to them and looked in their eyes and all that. Yep. Yep. There has to be a reason why we can justify like shipping our atoms across the country, you know, and burning lots of jet fuel to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So were you thinking of this as customer development? Were you thinking of it as sales? Like did you, do you have leads you're following up on? So it's a little too early for it to be like me doing, you know, in-person sales, I feel like. And the product is not really fully fleshed out or fully valuable enough to really warrant like trying to do like one-on-one gathering new customers. (laughs) So it was really just kind of get a lay of the land of like, what are people who are interested in Jamstack building today? Like, are they they managing to get uh, this type of technology into their companies or are they just purely in the hobby land and like, experimenting with it on personal projects and like trying to eventually work it into their company you know also what is the more enterprise range of the spectrum look like and i wanted to talk to you know some other companies that are being successful in the space like netlify for example and figure out like what is the middle of the market look like is it stratified between like a bunch of developers who are using their tooling for free and and falling in love with it and then like large large enterprises who are actually paying money or is there people in are there people in the middle who are kind of you know gradually upgrading into paid tiers on a smaller scale like is there a is there a fortune 5 million to go after here or is it mostly like mostly the fortune 500 you know and so it's it's hard to get like concrete data about that i mean people people don't generally just 
divulge all the nitty gritty like details about their company, but you can kind of get a sense for where their momentum is. And I feel pretty encouraged. Like I think there is, there's just a lot of growth in general in, in people kind of moving to this type of stack. And one thing I learned was that in reality, there's, there's a lot of people who are seeing the benefits of doing like static site pregeneration on the front end. Like one of the interesting stats that came off the stage was like, if you stand up a WordPress site today, like on average, it takes 11 days before the version of the WordPress you're running is compromised and potentially hackable. That's an insanely short amount of time. So like, you know, the co-founder of Netlify was standing up there saying like, we receive, you know, over a hundred million requests a month for the slash WP admin route, just like <laughs> malicious bots, just sniffing around to see if anyone's running WordPress so that they can compromise their site. So just the like security implications alone and the 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 speed and the the lighthouse scores um, on sites that are running on a monolithic WordPress versus static pre-generated site is just pretty night and day. There's just a lot of a lot of companies looking to move in this direction, but they're not necessarily following the pure like rewrite everything and choose like a really hip cool new front end to do their whole thing. They're like looking at ways to like how can we still use our Drupal backend or WordPress backend, but instead like move the rendering part into static site generator, for example. So it was cool to see like in reality, what are people actually doing when when there's whole teams of people who are trained on using their existing crufty content management system, but they were trying to like work this technology into their stack. So it's encouraging to see people getting really creative about that and not just waiting for it to be like, yeah, we're just waiting for to convince people to do like the big migration over to Jamstack. You know, it's like it's kind of something that people are gradually working into their into their tech stack, which I think is healthy. So if that does become the dominant way of switching over, does that make it harder for you to offer those services to people because they have the back end they're, they're keeping it around? I don't think so, because I think. You know, the idea is that if they're keeping around their their WordPress backend, for example, or their Drupal backend, they're trying to basically isolate that to internal use only. So I heard people talking about like when, you know, when we switched to a statically generated front end, we didn't really need our WordPress backend to be able to support like production traffic any longer because now that that instance of WordPress only serves as like an internal admin panel. And then, you know, during the build process, it hits the hits the WordPress API to suck the content out. So I think there's still like a place for people to drop in scalable serverless components onto their static front ends and no longer rely on their their content management system that's kind of just relegated to, to backend only. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, you said earlier that you felt like it was too early, or the product was too new to start doing one-on-one, like one one by one sales. I guess it was. Um, yeah. Are Are you sure? I think theoretically, I could like woo customers one by one to to try it out. And I definitely had a lot of conversations where, like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm building Static Kit. Oh, and they pop it open on their phone, and that looks really cool. I'll check it out. So there was definitely a lot of that going on, but I guess. My point was that like my main objective was not to like come and and just get customers one by one here. You know, I kind of had different goals. Okay. And so you was it sort of more market validation then? Yeah, a bit of market validation, you know, like I said getting getting a lay of the land, getting a sense for for where companies are at, and then also making making direct contact with some specific people that 
strategic, you know, strategic connections with people. And I think I, I checked off most of those boxes as well. So that's good. So it felt like a good, a good use of time. Yeah, it did. It did. I'm an introverted person. So going into like a conference environment, I am always like, in the back of my mind, the narrative is like, you got to make sure you get you squeeze the most out of this and make the best use of your time. And so I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty happy with my <laughs> with my performance. Okay, good. That's great. <laughs> cool. Uh, what else is going on? So the product feature that I've been working on, I can talk a bit about it. Now, I can't, we were just talking before the show, it's like, I can't even remember how much I've talked about this on Art of Product yet, but I'll go ahead and go into a little bit. I'm working on a thing that allows people to configure their static kit account via a config file instead of like logging into a UI and clicking buttons and creating stuff. So like if you have three forms you want on your site, theoretically, you could just drop like a deploy key in your, in your environment variables put a config file on your thing and then part of your build process run a deploy command and it just you know provisions things like creates or updates things according to your your config file and i'm really excited about this i think you know there's tons of benefits to doing it this way you can keep it in version control you can uh, you can templatize projects and you can create like repeatable builds you can spin up multiple environments you can have a dev environment and a staging environment that has the exact same configuration as your proud environment it's like lots of learnings from like the deployment realm of like hosting that I can apply to to static kit. So I'm really jazzed about this. But one of the things that I'm trying to make a decision on, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, is like how much of the UI to keep around. Like, do I do I give people the option to opt out of the config file entirely, or do I go bold and just say like, nope, this is the best way to do it? And I'm going to be opinionated about this and require you to do this. The thing that's popping into my mind is like when you start signing somebody up, they're probably in a browser already. And so saying like now the next step is like go over to the terminal and start doing this and make it commits and push and branch and PR and all that stuff might be a little annoying or like might be a bit of a disconnect. But at the same time, like you kind of have to to use your product, like your product requires code changes. And so if I have to do code changes anyway, maybe I just want to just do that. The idea of maintaining both sounds tricky and bad. Like it feels like if you decide, oh, there's two interfaces into the into configuring everything in static kit. It's like now you have twice as much work to do for every new feature or close to twice as much. Yeah. And what I'm finding is config files, you can be so much more expressive with the way you define things. It's much different thinking about like, for example, configuring an email notification upon form submission. Like right now I have one option basically, and it's like set the two email address that it's going to go to. But I've got, I've had, you know, customers specifically ask me for the ability to customize which fields show up in the email, um, customize kind of the, the front matter of the email, like what's the message that shows up, the subject line, the from email address, on and on and on. And like adding this stuff into a UI can get tricky because you don't, like you don't want to overwhelm people with a wall of fields. It's kind of hard to like, how do you keep it elegant, but also offer a lot of flexibility and customization if you need it. And like, it's so nice to just have convention over configuration, sane defaults in a config file. So like all you really need to do is set this field, but we have eight other ones that you can dip into if you really need them. Most people don't, but if you need them, they're there for you. It's just like a lot easier to add that to like a 
to add it to a JSON schema, which then gets, you know, passed into the database and all wired up smoothly versus like thinking about every time I have a decision like this, it's like, now I got to think through how does the UI function for this? And in reality, if like, if the ideal way to configure all this stuff is through the config file anyways, then it feels like a waste of my time. Like there's an opportunity to really increase velocity here if I don't have to think about the UI part of it, you know? Yeah, no, I like it. I'm leaning towards the config file only. Like just data is good. Like, like you said, it's versionable, it's generatable, it's templatable, it's shareable. It's, there's just, there's a lot of great things to it that you can't do if it's stuck behind a UI. And so if, if you buy those reasons, then you should, I think, I feel like you should like proselytize and be like, this is the way to configure a thing. Do it this way. And I'm not even gonna let you do it the other way. Yep. Yeah. So it's kind of about like taking a, taking a hard stand and there will be some people who I have another customer who is a little bit newer to static sites in general, but is kind of an early adopter. Definitely. I would consider them an early adopter type. So they're like, oh yeah, static kit. I'm told I'm converting sites over and I'm installing static kit. I got some pushback. I was talking to this person. They're like, oh no, you got to keep the UI. Cause like, I don't, I feel like it's overly technical to go have to use a config file for this stuff. I just want to create some forms. And I understand the sentiment, like you could, one could see this as overly technical, but at the same time, like as soon as you dip outside of it, for example, if, if eventually you want to migrate to config file anyways, now you've got this problem of like, there's a UI that allows you to update certain things, but then you have your config file when you deploy it, it'll overwrite your changes unless you like two-way sync edits from the UI back to your config file and things just get really messy. I can imagine like all the all the support questions around like, I updated the name and then five minutes later, the name changed back to what it was before. And that's because someone has, you know, a config file they just deployed. Um, yep. the- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this sounds like one of those those dangerous things where it's like, if you decide you're going to do both, then forever, your work is magnified on a permanent basis. This is not like a, you can't, yeah. So I'd, I'd be extra, extra careful before deciding both are okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Cool. Mm. Good stuff. Decisions, decisions. <laughs> Tricky product decisions. Yeah. But I like the developer nerdiness. This is the right way to do it. Opinionated idea of the, yeah, we don't even have a UI. I wanted to go that way with Tuple originally and just make a command line client. But yeah, that didn't, didn't work out. There's a place for a UI. Like the UI will still exist. It'll be mostly, for the most part, read only. And I think it will... I, anytime I add things to the UI, I'll be thinking of it from the perspective of it's likely a non-technical person looking at this and what would they need to see. So like for a forum, they want to see, you know, maybe like submission analytics and raw submission data. Like that's probably the, something that a, the per, not the person implementing the form, but the person who's consuming the result of the form wants to see. And that person, you know, that person's not necessarily like running a command on the command line to spit out their submissions. They want to see it in a nice UI. So sure, totally. Yeah, that's I reasonable. Think, uh, yeah, kind of taking that split approach. Um, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. Um, so I have some stuff. A good number of things actually. Uh, last time we talked, just you and me was uh, reporting that like the numbers had gotten a little bit soft. Uh, happy to report that has seemingly reversed having a good good month so far might it who knows like exactly where like could have been a random blip a little bit uh some people i talked to said yeah this just happens every so often like a couple weeks that go by they're not so good and then they just picks back up and uh, i think it's not really worth worrying about uh that seems to have happened uh to us 
Uh, we've also been like pushing on it. Like it's so it's, I think it's partly that it was just kind of a fluctuation. And also, we all kind of got back to it. And I've been, you know, emailing the list and tweeting about things and, you know, making noise again. And that, that always seems to just sort of drive uh, things going in the right direction. So that's very gratifying just to, to have that happen so quickly, <laughs> upon, like kind of starting back up on things. Yeah, a little relief, right? Yeah, I love that instant gratification. That's the best kind of gratification. We also uh, rolled out a thing we've been talking about for a while now, um, which is uh, we are now doing a uh, two-week free trial to anyone that drops your email in our little invite box. So this is our like was by far our biggest objection. So I, I added this new email to our sequence. Um, so we would send you an invite, and then we send you like another reminder for the invite. And then if you don't take either of those, we eventually say, hey, just curious, like, what, what's the biggest thing? Like, what's keeping you from doing it? Uh, and this is a trick that I, I feel like just is always a good idea. Like, I tweeted about this, but like, every time you're trying to get someone to do something, if they don't do the thing, like, ask them why. Give them a chance to tell you what the blocker was. Uh, and because the feedback that's been coming from that has been super useful for a lot of reasons. But by far the biggest objection, or most common objection was like, I don't, like, this doesn't match how I want to buy things. Like, on my team, we try stuff out, and then if we like it, we ask the manager to pay for it, and they do. Um, and it just, like, it just consistently didn't match how people wanted to purchase it. Uh, some people would jump over the bar, and we would, you know, get the trial anyway. And that was nice, because we would get some revenue. It was just clear. <laughs> the market was like, you know, you can do this, but we kind of hate it. Uh, so we are testing out this, this new approach. And so far, so good. There's other good reasons to do it, which is, like, limiting the number of trials kind of doesn't make sense. Like, we, we seem to have a good product that people like. Our conversion rates are pretty high it's less interesting to get 100 bucks for a month and more interesting to get the $300 per month uh, after they actually convert and new happy users and all that. So, and yeah, the shorter trial I think is also good because we found that people like pretty quickly took it up or pretty quickly did stop using it. And like it was basically within the first week you could kind of tell whether someone was going to convert. People don't actually seem to need that long to try it out. They try it pretty fast and then decide whether they like it. Yeah, when we were figuring out trial length or drip, we kind of looked at like how long on average does it take for people to, you know, basically get get enough things set up where they're actually getting value out of the product, like time to time to meaningful value, I guess was kind of directly tied with trial length. And like, yeah, we managed to get it down to 21 days, but I think any shorter and it just wouldn't have like we would have had a, a steep drop off in people who were just not there yet, you know, but it feels like for for tuple. Yeah, you kind of get. I mean, you get value right away as soon as you do your first pairing session, right? But then it's just like, I guess, giving teams time to to try it out, you know, with with more people and maybe get in the habit of using it for like for a couple sprints or whatever they're doing, you know? Totally. Yeah. I, I imagine we'll we'll test different lengths here. I'm not not convinced we have the best one right off the bat, but uh, this 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 felt like about about right for now. And it's only been live for a day or two, but so far so good. Like the conversion of email subscriber to trial person is is up. We're getting more of them than usual by a good amount, uh, as you might expect by dropping the payment part. Still credit card up front, so still requires a bit of a commitment, but but no cost. Would you ever try no credit card up front? You know, I kind of want to. We we haven't really leaned on the like, let's make this really easy to spread yet. But I find myself more and more drawn to that because it sort of has that sort of inherent viral thing to it. But we don't make it super easy. We're not like leaning into that. And I, I think we could. We are finally starting to have like some scaling concerns or like some issues. 
like now that we have like thousands of clients connected over like with like a WebSockets connection to our servers, it's starting to get a little bit more like, oh, that failed in a weird way. And that's not totally clear what happened here. And now we need a beefier box over here. And this thing can't support this many. And so like we're starting to have some of that problem. So that that idea of going to like a, uh, you know, just, just opening the floodgates is a bit overwhelming right now. Uh, and so it's like, and like with a credit card upfront trial conversion rate, you're looking at like, I don't know, 40 to 60% of people. But with, you know, no credit card, it's like 1%, maybe one to two, two if you're great. Uh, so it's like the idea of having hundreds more trials every month and like only a tiny fraction that end up paying us is like, ooh, it sounds a little scary right now. Yeah. No, I think that's a really smart way you're thinking about that. Like people who are willing to put a credit card on file are just going to be inherently more likely to convert in general and there's a lot of good signals around that and i think if you've got enough of them coming in who are willing to do that then i think there's yeah there's no reason to drop that imminently i still actually think it's a good idea eventually once we stabilize or like once like when we have our infrastructure figured out more and, and we're willing to try this because i still actually think we're a little bit mismatched with how developers want to buy things which is they want to try it and then get permission to buy it and like so right now you like someone told me he's like i put my personal credit card down to start the trial and then we're going to switch it out with the company credit card and it's like okay well he still made it happen and because he didn't we didn't charge him anything but like i could still see how it's the it's a roadblock and like there seems to just be a trend in this space and just sort of if you're matching how people want to buy stuff it probably is make it really easy to get in there and then uh figure out how to pay for it later that's certainly been my observation with developer tools in general i mean it's a big category but all the ones I've encountered kind of in my space are all pretty uh, low barrier. Um, totally. And, and that makes sense for a bottom-up kind of product. Like what we, what we usually see is some developer, maybe a lead developer, but often just a frontline person uh, wants to try tuple. And so they don't often have that credit card or that permission to spend money. And so the first thing they have to do is go have that conversation for a tool they haven't used yet. And it's like, yeah, I see how that doesn't, I can see how that would be like hard to ask people to do. Uh, so if, if we were a top down kind of thing and like, you know, the CTO was deciding, okay, here's our pairing solution, totally different sales process. But I think the reality is we're mostly bottom up. So we should probably make that easy for folks. Yeah. It's good. Uh, despite that, I've been sending some outbound emails to folks at the top of engineering organizations. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping your feet in both uh, in both camps. Just yeah. try them both. You know, we we have you know a, a nice mix of you know individual people signing up, but then also occasionally we get like bigger you know corporate type deals where someone high up in the chain is like, all right, let's talk about tuple for the whole team or something. Just people you've like you are aware of or have some kind of connection to or so these far cold just or? cold just straight cold right. just like thinking yeah. of companies i think would be good and trying to reach out to somebody like cto or vp of engineering or something like that and just just seeing how it goes we'll find out yeah is it too early to tell how it's been working out yeah for sure yeah i just started yeah. this week okay. fully sent a handful okay. so uh, yeah. but future updates on that yeah we'll see i'm interested to hear you also shipped a nice thing a couple or a pair of nice features one was a uh, tuple slack command so if you're like you're in a DM with somebody and like, hey, should we pair on this? Like, yeah, great, let's do it. And then like you can just kind of tuple call this person and then the call will start to them. Was it tricky technically to like wire that up or does it just execute like a command to open the tuple client that's currently installed in their computer or how does that? Oh, it's super easy. You just ask Spencer to do it and then it's done. <laughs> nice. I like it. <laughs> I could use a Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
basically we we added a tuple url scheme so that the machine can like kind of make calls into the app like kind of deep linking sort of thing the way it works is you fire off the command and then slack will put in the dm message like a button and that button can go to whatever url you want uh and so that just goes to like start the call with this human kind of thing unfortunately you can't make like the slack client open a url maybe not unfortunately that might be for the best um uh, I, I wanted it to just I just wanted to go like slash tuple and like it starts ringing but you can't you got to kind of opt into it more directly yeah yeah which is fair that's cool was this a was this feature requested or is this sort of a, a figuring out like something that's likely to get used um, it, it was requested actually people people would request this pretty frequently and it makes sense because like the workflow is kind of like we don't have a good way of still, like checking in like hey are you ready to go and so people would be kind of in a DM and they're like, okay, you ready to go? All right, yes. And then like, there was there were slash commands for like Slack's screen share. It's like, well, that's easier. So maybe I'll just do that as opposed to, you know, doing more clicks. So they're like, we've, I think we'd use tuple more if we had this. And we're like, we want you to use tuple more. So here we are. Along the same lines, uh, we added uh, Alfred support. So because we have that deep linking now, uh, you can just, you can also call it from Alfred and other apps. But uh, we wrote up a, or Spencer wrote up a little workflow for Alfred, so you can do the, the call without touching your your mouse, which is nice. Nice, that's very yeah. cool. That sounds that's very Ben Orenstein. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no mouse. <laughs> it made me quite happy. It was, it was very much in my personal philosophy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, we ordered yesterday samples of our uh, first T-shirt in the the Tupel Lifestyle brand. Oh, so yeah. I saw I saw a tweet. Yeah, I think is no. Is that tweet still out there? No, I, I decided okay. to delete it actually. Okay, <laughs> it's like I'm I'm trying to get away from announcing things before they happen because I invariably <laughs> am too optimistic. Okay, and, all right. And so even though I didn't commit to a date or anything, I was just like, this is too close to like promising we're going to do this, and I, I just I'm just trying to stop doing that. So I just decided to remove it. That's coming together. We ordered, so we found a supplier. We're using Printful, which is recommended, I think, by Justin Jackson. So thank you, Justin. And put together like a Shopify store. And then we ordered some samples yesterday to, to actually check it all out and see how it looks. So hopefully with a, a review round or two, we'll have something that we really like. And then uh, we'll start, I think, offering it for sale. God, I'm promising something. Uh, possibly in some future, <laughs> totally hypothetically, we might offer it for sale. Uh, and then also uh, use it to um, incentivize our customers to do things we want them to do. A little bribery. Never hurt anybody. Yeah, just a, a little bit of bribery. I mean, there's there's a reason it's illegal to bribe public officials, and it's because it works. <laughs> yeah, it's been known. It's known to be effective. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I think uh, I'm pretty sure it's legal for us. So we're gonna try it. How did you design it? Did you contract that out? Yeah, uh, just 99 designs actually. It's based around the idea of a pun of pair programmers being like P-E-A-R programmer. Uh, so I just sort of wrote up a little brief saying, I want a shirt that reflects this pun. And, and somebody came up with like the right kind of vibe that I was looking for. It's kind of cutesy. And um, so. So I saw it and I don't know. Yeah, I won't describe it in too much detail since the image is now pulled down. But I thought it was a very, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a very, uh, it just in, like made me smile when I saw it. Nice. And uh, Good. I was like, ooh. I was like, I think they could work this, like this could be worked into the brand in some form almost, oh, that's you know, like, um, like, well, yeah. we had, cause we had Drippy for a while at Drip. Drippy's right. dead now. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> dead Drippy. <laughs> Drippy dried up. I think there's still a, 
I think there's still an Easter egg, actually, if you view source on the Drip app. Um, Ooh. There might be wow. something in there. Um, I haven't gotten rid of that. Drippy might not be dead fully yet. But, okay. uh, but yeah, Drippy was just, uh, you know, a, a smiling face and a little robotic drip that we could kind of use as a motif in different swag. And it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun to nice. have. And um, I think we'll probably make more of these. Like, I think, like, I enjoyed the process. I think the end result is going to be pretty cool. I think it might generate a little bit of revenue and also make for like good swag to give away and whatnot. Um, and I don't know, there, there might be something there around like actually designing like good shirts for programmers. I think there's, I think there's a market there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so might, this whole pair programming thing doesn't work out. Uh, t-shirts for devs, drop shipping, <laughs> <laughs> print on demand t-shirts. Exactly. It fits the bets. kind of thing I like to build, which is a product where you don't have to do any work when someone buys it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's along the same theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to to get that shipped. Uh, I have a hunch it'll take a couple of revisions because we've never done it before. So like, is it too big? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it should we move it a little higher on the shirt, lower on the shirt? What does it look like when we put the logo on the back? All that stuff um, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. TBD, but we'll figure it out. Nice. Well, yeah, can't wait to get mine. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I expect one in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I owe you for the level shirt, so I got to reciprocate. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, so those are kind of the, the things that are going on in my world. Um, I had one more topic I figured we would chat through quickly um, before we wrap up, which is, and, the, and you know, we're late to the party going on in the podcast world, um, but there's, this, there's been some discussions of um, how much MRR is enough like when are you happy? What's a target? What do you what do you do? When should you be satisfied and all that? And I was talking to Rob about this the other day, uh, and a thing I said that he agreed with was, "There's no enough, not because you can't have enough money, because you can. Um, it's more about the bigger, brighter, more interesting future. So t- to me, stagnation and staying the same, stasis, is what's not great. I want the continued challenge of optimizing the machine that's what gets me excited and like seeing it reach another level is like okay cool we figured out the next one um and it's not about the income it's about the challenge like even if it's like a million dollars a month or something i don't think i could ever be like oh yeah great now we have enough let's never get more sophisticated let's never be more ambitious let's never figure out the next how to get through this plateau uh, that just sounds like that sounds like to me like would be the death of my interest in the thing. Yeah, I think that's a wise way to look at it because I mean, businesses don't. That's just not how they work. Even to like say like we'll we'll get to this level and then we will n- neither grow nor nor uh, decline. Like you just can't. Like it, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, this kind of harkens me back to uh, to Paul Jarvis because you know he's kind of. I feel like he kind of popularized the the enough lingo, right? And but I think he's similar <laughs> similar to other things about his book, like company of one doesn't mean literally one person. And I think I've heard him talk about this. I think we're like enough doesn't necessarily mean doesn't equate to stagnation or doesn't equate to like not growing. It just means like I guess growing within the boundaries that you've opted into and not letting it run away from you or not like pursuing growth for without a good reason for pursuing it, you know? And um, so I think that's really, that's really how to frame it, right? Is like, it's like, no, we're going to continue to grow because businesses inherently have to, have to grow. They can't just stay stagnant, but 
you know, you're not going to go raise venture capital because that would help you grow faster, for example, right? So it's within, it's on your own terms. Or maybe you will, but, you know, that's at least, you know, you will deliberately do that if you do that. And it's not just going to be like, well, this will allow us to grow faster. Therefore, we must do this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing I do hope to kind of cultivate is a certain, I guess, kind of a calmness about it. So in, in the early days, before you're like ramen profitable, you need that growth because the, the clock is ticking. But once you're past that line, like I, I, I know I'm still motivated and hungry for, you know, making it better and more interesting, but also trying to feel like this is a fun, interesting game. And I come in every day and try to figure out how to win the game a little bit more and not like, man, uh, we got to get to this next level because uh, I have the stress around it. Right. And I guess like a game, do you think do you think it's possible to get to the place where like, oh, today, maybe we've won the game tomorrow. Maybe we didn't win the game, maybe like or, you know, <laughs> use the analogy like this month, maybe we didn't grow. Maybe we declined a little bit or something like but if you're if it really is a game, then you're not going to take it too hard. It's like, eh, next time maybe we'll do better, right? So like the question is can you can you have that attitude toward it or does it become like toxically stressful if that were to happen, you know? Challenging. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the ideal. And that's the kind of thing I want to cultivate is like don't be too attached to the outcome in either direction exactly. Like don't make my my happiness too tied to that and realize that it's pro- it's a long-term game. And so the small fluctuations week to week, month to month are probably not that important as long as you are still motivated to keep playing and keep getting better. Um, and, and don't take the wins too seriously and don't take the losses too seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is kind of reminds me too of um, like Jason Fried who famously says like, I don't have goals. I've never set goals. And <laughs> that's just such a contrarian Jason Fried thing to say. But I think it's it's probably for that reason where like at a certain point, if you start setting goals, then then maybe you're tying your happiness to achieving that goal. And if you don't achieve it, like, does it really matter? You know? Um, mm, yeah. So it's kind of well, an interesting see, we, way to look at life. I don't know. Yeah. We did set OKRs this quarter. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see how that works out. <laughs> well, I think goals can also be a positive. Like if you don't set goals, then... Like, they can work both for you and against you, I think. Like, um, you know, if you don't have any goals, then I feel like it's easy to just feel like you're not making progress. But so I found that to be like, you know, I set, I lay out what I want to do in the week. And then by the end of the week, if I've checked off, those are mini goals. If I've checked them off, then I feel better about the week. And so I think it's hard to, maybe that's a very privileged position to be able to say like, I don't need goals. I can throw those completely out the window because it's mm-hmm. all gravy at this point, you know? Uh, nothing about our lives is not privileged. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I heard a great so quote the other day, which perfect. is, there are at least a billion people on the planet that would consider their prayers as having been answered if they were able to switch places with you. Yeah. No. Damn. Damn. Yeah. Right? So, you know, <laughs> yeah. just keep that in mind, too. Yep. A little perspective goes a long way for sure. Yep, absolutely. So with that, I think we should wrap it. Cool. Let's wrap it. I will uh I'll leave you with a San Francisco anecdote since I'm here and I saw a very a very peak San Francisco thing. So I was, I was walking down the street and uh um wandered into this place called Falafel Land, a little a little neighborhood 
joint um, serving Middle Eastern food. The guy was like very like big personality behind the counter, you know, greets you real big when you walk in. Uh, it was a pretty small place. Um, just had like a kind of a counter. He was standing there, obviously the one making making the food. I think he was the only one there, probably the owner. And I walk up to him and I'm like looking at the menu and I'm about to order. And he's like, he like puts his hand up. And he's like, nope. And he points to the left and I look over and there's a kiosk where I can punch in my order into this kiosk <laughs> and insert my credit card. It's like a, you know, it some kind of startup to replace cashiers, basically. <laughs> and so I, I step over, I punch in my order, put in my credit card, it does the thing, and then it prints out a little ticket for him right behind his counter. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then he makes proceeds to make my order. Wow. Oh, yeah. so San Francisco. Yeah, totally. It's crazy that like someone who like seemingly wants that social interaction and that friendliness and connection yeah, would, would that was just that the irony. It was yeah, it was just yeah, I found it hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I love it. I like the name Falafel Land. That's great. I want to. I want to oh, live it was in Falafel great. Land. Yeah, yeah. No, it was everything about it was uh, was uh, fantastic. <laughs> it was good. Nice. <laughs> the company. Cool. All right. Uh, notes for the show. Notes for the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye.